Today's episode of the Stem Cell Podcast is brought to you by Thermo Fisher Scientific, offering innovative Gibco solutions to support your stem cell research workflow. Happy New Year, everybody out there in podcast land 2016, and welcome to episode 61, World Stem Cell Summit. I am Dr. Christopher Pisano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannat, and this is the Stem Cell Podcast. Happy New Year, Yosef. What up, man? Yeah, 2016. Wow. That's a great year so far, right? <laughs> yeah, man. It's, uh, I can't believe... I feel... Uh, maybe this is just like cliche, but like as I get older, the years get shorter, you know? Like, mm. it, it feel like we just had 2015... Now we're into 2016, and the cold has definitely kicked in yeah. in the Northeast, man. I know today is like a real, real super cold. Imagine down in the city, it's that wind whipping through a real cold. Yeah, I had a bundle up this morning, but it feels good to be back at work. It's, this holiday season was like forever. I don't know if it's because of the way the days like fell on for Christmas and New Year's, but it's just it's kind of just good to be back at, at work. So uh, how's everything on your end over there? Every- Everything's okay. I got away with my family for a little bit, so uh, so that was nice. And uh, now, like you say, you know, it's back to the grind. And I think it was that, yo. So I think it was that the Thursday Friday situation with the holidays, you know. So yeah. like, you got an extra day, or like, it just feels a little bit longer. Um, so it probably was that. But um, anyway, we're back, and we have a. Um, interesting episode today is episode 61 and Yosef and I were talking before we got on and this was going to be an episode where we did um you know just interviews from the world stem cell summit but you know last time we did uh instead of the roundup we did the 24-hour stem cell event Yosef remember so we really haven't done a real true roundup in a while so and we weren't going to do one now because we have such a lengthy interview portion so, but instead, Joseph and I really wanted to do a roundup. So we're going to do an abbreviated roundup. We're going to try to do five minutes each just to guys give you some, inf- some, some papers and some stuff, what's going on. Then we'll get into the interviews that we did on the floor, the Stem Cell Summit. And I think we have a quick rant, right, Yos? Yeah, yeah, quickie, quickie. We'll do a quickie rant. And so, um, so that's that. Um, I want everybody to, I want to thank everybody for listening in 2015. And we had a lot of big things coming in 2016. Um, we have some, some, something new we're going to we'll probably launch soon, uh, a new website, um, that, that is going to incorporate the podcast, but other things going to be called Stem Cell Channels. And what we've done is we have different ways for you to get content on stem cells, uh, one of which is this podcast you're listening to. But we also have a blog. We also have um, a chat forum. We also have a YouTube channel. We also have a bunch of different things. 
uh, and we're going to a newsletter, and we're going to put that all on one website, so you can go on there and choose the content you like. One of which will be the podcast. You can still always access us at on iTunes and StemCellPodcast.com. So that that'll go up pretty soon, um, and we'll let you know more about that. We're also going to have another survey we want to put out. We're going to give away a bunch of gift cards. Uh, it really helps us to get information from our listeners. So if you guys when you, when when that's ready, we'll let you know. And any participation is 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 greatly appreciated. So we're the Stem Cell Podcast. You can always get us at stemcellpodcast.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Um, we're on Twitter, Facebook, stemcellpodcast at gmail.com. Um, so any ideas for this year, please send them to us, and we'll be sure to, to, to do that and get them on for you. I think we should just move into the roundup, Yosef, because we, this is going to be a long show. So um, with that, I'll turn it over to Yosef, who will start with the breath of science, and he will round it up right now. So there was an internet, I, I saw this today, this headline, the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry, I love that, pure chemistry, uh, added four new elements to the periodic table. This is the first time they've added since uh, 2011, so it's been five years, and the super heavy man-made chemical elements are temporarily named 113, wow, 115, 117, and 118. So uh, 113 was discovered at Ricken, you know, the Japan Institute. Yep. Uh, it's called Untrium or Unontrium. Uh, this will be the first element to be named in Asia. Uh, 115 was discovered in Russia, and it's called Unontrium. Pentium, and then 117 was discovered in Tennessee, and it's called un un septium and 118 in Russia and California called un un so the elements come about by smashing lighter nuclei into each other and analyzing the radioactive decay that exists for a fraction of a second. So uh, getting a little revamp, the old They all have team. un in it? <clears throat> yeah, I don't know if it's un or un, but it's you. Uh, so it's either un untrium or un untrium. I don't know. How, yeah. So uh there was a Nation Communications article uh, describing China's U-2 lander, uh, lunar rover, sorry, uh, it, it discovered a new kind of volcanic rock on the moon. So the, it's a basalt that has intermediate levels of titanium, which is in contrast to the high levels brought back from the Soviets and the USA uh, back in the day. So the the younger, this rock is younger. It's about 3 billion years old as opposed to the 3 or 4 billion year old. Uh, such a young rock. Yeah, right? And it could uh, help generate a timeline of the magma from the eruptions that happened on the moon. So, uh, Dude, when you hear magma, do you automatically think of Austin Powers? Yeah, it's I, crazy. It's crazy how he took over that word. I know. He really did. <laughs> uh, there's a Lancet he hematology uh, paper describing a cytomegalovirus vaccine or CMV called CMV pep vax uh, that's both safe and effective in protecting patients uh, receiving stem cell transplants from uh, what are known as CMV flare-ups. Uh, they tested a vaccine in a phase one clinical trial in 36 patients uh, receiving stem cell treatments for cancer and other diseases, and half of the group received two doses of the vaccine at different time points at day 26 and day, uh, sorry, day 28 and day 56. And the other half did not get the vaccine. So CMV 
PetVax had boosted the immune response against CMV and lowered the occurrence of CMV flare-ups and reduced the need for antiviral drugs. So this should help in uh, stem cell transplantations. Cool. Uh, there was our favorite journal. PNAS. Yes. Good way to start the year. Uh, yeah, the, uh, there was a PNAS or Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences study showing that another effect of disappearing sea ice uh, will be more precipitation in the Arctic. So as sea ice is reduced, ocean water is exposed to the atmosphere, leading to increased evaporation and ultimately more precipitation. They found that as sea ice shrunk more than 38,000 square miles, the percentage of moisture in the atmosphere increased to 18 percent in the canadian arctic and 10 percent in the greenland sea region so expect some um, more rainfall uh, in the arctic or whatever snow snowfall so counterintuitive uh right uh, yeah anyhow uh moving on there was a neuropharmacology study showing that ketamine you know the raver drug special k special k (laughs) yep it reverses depression like symptoms in rats fed a high fat diet in a similar way uh that it combats depression and synaptic damage of chronic stress in people so the effects of a high fat diet are similar to chronic stress and could be a contributing uh factor to depression depression and metabolic disorders. So they found that ketamine activates the mTORC pathway. Remember that mTORC? Yeah. Uh, which regulates the creation of synaptic connections that are damaged by stress and depression. So yet another ketamine depression study, but this one dealing with, uh, you know, eating too much fatty food. Uh Real quick, there was a science article showing an effective MERS vaccine. You know, the Middle Eastern Respiratory, uh, I'm not sure if it's symptom or whatever, but that uh, the MERS uh, virus, uh, so this works in camels, uh, which is the primary host for the virus. And since 2012, there have been 1,600 cases in 2,600 cases. Oh, sorry, 26 countries with 600 deaths. So MERS is out there, and hopefully uh, it won't become a pandemic or anything. But this vaccine, uh, by vaccinating camels, may reduce the spread of the virus. And the vaccine also uh, protects from a related camel pox virus. Imagine getting a camel pox virus. That sounds terrible. I don't want anything with the word camel in it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, Or pox, I guess. Or pox. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Real quick, there was a current biology uh, study where they used a visual test called the binocular rivalry uh, test to, which forces each eye to take in uh, very different images. It creates uh, different reactions in autistic brains versus normal brains uh, to show that differences. They use this study, this this test, to show that differences in GABA are linked to autism. And this is the first time that a neurotransmitter has been implicated in uh, in humans uh, for autism. So uh, you can find that in current biology. And uh, I think I'll end on a PLOS genetic study identifying genes for centenarians using informed GWAS, so genome-wide association screens, screens, uh, which takes takes advantage of knowledge from 14 
diseases to narrow the search. So they found five loci uh, in the genome that involve various processes, including senescence, autoimmunity, uh, cell signaling, and Alzheimer's disease. So uh, this is sort of a more informed uh, GWAS study for uh, centenarians. So hopefully... Uh, extending people's lives through this information uh centenarians are interesting cohort really interesting like for everyone out there those people who live over 100 years old i was reading i saw this guy wrote a book about there's these pockets in the in the world where there's you know communities of people that live a really long time and uh like six or seven or something like that and they were he did like a you know they studied like what's different about their lifestyle and what they are cons- what they're eating and things like that. It was really interesting. You know what people eat that's really conserved amongst all those legumes? Yeah, I heard the beans. I, I beans. listened to a like, podcast on that. I think it beans was beans like every day. They have beans or lentil or some sort of is it legume or legume? I don't legumes. know how you say it, but yeah. And interestingly, I just found out peanuts are considered a legume. They're not a nut. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so, right. anyway, everyone eat your beans. Anyway, yeah. so uh, stem cell podcast presented by Thermo Fisher. Now we're getting to the stem cell portion. I only have a bit here because you want to move into the interviews. So, um, of, of the World Stem Cell Summit. Um, this is an interesting thing, Yosef. I don't know if you ever thought that stem cells would go here as an application, uh, but it's saying that stem cells may save the northern the northern white rhino. So, like, this is an interesting application in in kind of keeping uh, species around. And so I guess there's only three northern white rhinoceroses left on Earth. And, you know, conservationists are giving up on traditional breeding efforts and turning to cutting-edge science to save this species, subspecies, I guess. And so they developed a plan to use stem cells to create fertilized rhino embryos, which will be carried by a surrogate southern white rhino female. Um, so I guess um, the plan is to collect egg and sperm cells from the last living northern whites and then combine them with IPS cells. These cells are taken from the rhino's body and then chemically induced to turn back to, as we know, the uh, pluripotent cell, which can become any type of body tissue. And the hope is that scientists can reverse engineer body cells or the somatic cell into sperm and egg hmm. and then fertilize embryos that could be made by IVF and reach a fertilization and transferred into southern white rhinos, the northern white's nearest relative. Now, that all sounds well and good, but it's a very it's a lot of complications could come up. No one has ever successfully completed IVF on a rhino, um, you know, and there's all these lists of things. But they're going to give it a shot. They're going to try it out uh, and in hopes to save the white rhinoceros um, population, which is uh, dwindling. Um, so that's interesting. I never thought about that as stem cells to preserve species. Um, this is just a quick thing. Um, uh, CDI, remember Cellular Dynamics International? Mm-hmm. Uh, they were sold to the Japanese conglomerate Fuji Film. Um, and so I was just reading this article about like what's going to happen. In you know, CDI was a big company, and they were in Madison, Wisconsin, in uh, University Research Park. And this just is an article talking about how um, you know the the chairman, the CEO, came and met with Scott Walker, um, you know, the governor there. And they really still plan to keep a strong presence in Wisconsin and are committed to that. I thought that was really cool and interesting. It goes on to talk a little bit about what CDI is doing and how Fujifilm is going to help develop IPS technologies um, going down the line. It's just hard when I say Fujifilm and then you talk about IPS cells. But they do have a big uh, biomedical uh, push. I know that much. They're not just doing... 
um, Fujifilm. When I think Kodak, by the way, and Fuji, I think of those old Polaroid cameras, by the way, those uh, old school ones. Anyway, uh, paper and cell stem cell. Did you hear about this? Yosef, human mouse chimerism validates human stem cell pluripotency. This was uh, Roger Peterson lab in, in the UK. And what they did was they took... Um, so we know pluripotent stem cells are defined by their ability to differentiate into all three layers. And so chimera, it's a chimera, for, chimera formation is when, like, you... I don't know how to explain this, Yos, is by... If you if you take stem cells... Uh, gener- chimeras are generated by stem cell transplantations into the embryo. So if you put stem cells into the very early embryo, what happens is they will then uh, incorporate into that development embryo, and so you'll get the cells you put in will be now all over in theory in every derivative of the um of the kind of host embryo and so what they did in this um, i guess the ability of human pluripotent stem cells to form embryonic chimeras remains in question because we can't take a human pluripotent cell and inject it into a human embryo right that would obviously be bad so they did it with a mouse yos they they uh, used a stage match approach to human IPS cells and human ES cells. They, they basically transplanted them uh, into a very early mouse gastrula stage embryo. And then they looked to see that there were human derivatives all in the three germ layers, in the ectoderm, in the mesoderm, and the endoderm, to show that human pluripotent cells, pluripotent stem cells, can actually contribute to all germ layers upon you know uh, in- injection into early embryo. So didn't Den Ali Bervenlu do some similar over at Rockefeller? I don't know the history of that, but this is making it sound like it's never been done before. So I mean, I'm gonna take their word for it. I guess uh, it's just a weird thing to think you know you're putting human cells into a mouse embryo and then seeing where they go. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I'm trying to move through quick here. Stem cell reports. This is out of the lab of Hidek- Hideyuki Okano. Grafted human IPS cells derived oligodendrocyte precursor cells contribute to robust remyelination of demyelinated axons after spinal cord injury. So oligodendrocytes are the cells that basically wrap up the neurons and help make the neurons fire. Uh, that stuff is called myelin that it gets wrapped with. And in injury, you have demyelination or a loss of myelin. And so what they show is that IPS-derived oligodendrocyte precursors can turn into mature oligodendrocytes. When you graft them, it can actually contribute to remyelination so they can make more of the insulation. And then they lead to a functional recovery of some sort following a spinal cord injury. So more uh, good news about using IPS or pluripotent stem cell-derived oligodendrocytes for spinal cord injury. This is out of the lab of uh, David Kaplan and Frieda Miller, identification of drugs that regulate dermal stem cells or skin stem cells and enhance skin repair. So they identified small molecules using a screen that enhanced this skip self-renewal or skin-derived precursors. They, um, they're involved in promoting the activation of specific pathways, and both compounds activate these dermal precursors in vivo, and this would be useful to enhance wound healing. So if you have bad wounds or if you're in burn victim or something like that, you can use these drugs to actually endogenously activate the stem cells in the skin to make new skin uh, for the wound. Uh, this is cool out of Rudy Yanish and Rick Young's lab. It's called 3D Chromosome Regulatory Landscape of Human Pluripotent Stem Cells. So chromosomes are not linear. We see the nice pictures of them, but they're, they exist in these 3D landscapes. They bend backwards and loop all around. So they used this technique, Yo's called Chia Pet. Yeah. 
and I, and I, 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 I should. It's Chrome. I, I really. I used to know what it stood for, and now I don't. And um, uh, hopefully, I can find it before the end of the show. But they use this technique called Chia Pet, and they also use another technique called. Um, uh, where is it? Uh, let's see. It's called. Where to go? I don't know where it is. Anyway, what they were able to do is they were basically able to kind of generate the 3D regulatory map of human pluripotent stem cells. So um, they can map enhancers and insulators in looped domains, mm-hmm. uh, and then they can find actually in these like poised pluripotent, the naive uh, human ESL and the primed human ESL, they were able to see the difference of how the 3D uh, kind of architecture of the chromosome looks. So it's really, 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 really cool, man. Uh, and that's really important because... Um, uh, when you have enhancers or things that are really upstream, they loop around to activate transcription. Um, and so to identify uh, real enhancers, if you can understand the 3D architecture of chromosome uh, chromosomes, then you can get a better understanding of all this. So this is a really cool high-tech paper. It's called Chromatin Interaction Analysis by Paired End Tag Sequencing, or CHIAPET. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and then lastly, a nature biotech generation of serotonin neurons from human pluripotent stem cells. So serotonergic neurons who are out there um, are, are a type of neuron, and serotonin is a type of neurotransmitter that's essential to our normal brain function. Um, you guys might be familiar with SSRIs or serotonin reuptake uh, inhibitors. Wait, SSRI. Yeah, selective serotonin. Selective, that's what it is. Thank you. And so serotonin is involved in depression. It's involved in just just normal homeostasis of our brain. So obviously, if we to to understand disease and to better understand these neurons, if we can generate them from stem cells, that's great. So this is out of uh, Su Chun Chang's lab. Who we should really get on the show, yo. Yeah, I know. And it doesn't really happen often that you steal one of mine, but this was one of mine that I sort of skipped. I got you, baby. Yeah, I yeah, got yeah. you. And so this was a really cool in Nature Biotech. They demonstrate efficient differentiation of serotonergic neurons um, that derive from the raphe nucleus. They express all the markers of. Um, and it says when treated with FDA-approved drugs, tramadol and this other drug, they release or uptake serotonin in a dose and time-dependent manner, which is so cool. Really awesome. He does really great work. Um, yeah. He's out of Wisconsin as well. Yep. So let's end it there. Um, we will move on to the interview portion of the show. Um, the interview portion of the show is uh, sponsored by Stem Cell Technologies. Um, last time we told you about their This Is Why It's Hot Media or the MIMS Media. And so this time we're going to talk to you about, it's on our website, stemcellpodcast.com. Uh, they have their infographic content, which is basically like these little kind of flow diagrams of stem cell research, you know, figuring out what to use when working with stem cells. Um, if you're new to the field and you want to know which reagent to use or what, what enzyme to use and things like that, it could be confusing. So they've created these flow diagrams or what they call them infographics. You can go to stemcell.com slash go PSC, like pluripotent stem cell, stemcell.com slash go PSC. Click on the banner and or click on our banner on our website uh, and you'll be able to basically find the infographic uh, that works for you. So uh, with that, let's move into the um, interview portion of the show, which was conducted live at the World Stem Cell Summit. 
Okay, so we are here day one of the World Stem Cell Summit, and we have grabbed our, our first guest. Our, our first guest is uh, uh, Dan Ginsel from the Maryland Stem Cell Resur- Research Fund. Uh, Dan, welcome to the Stem Cell Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I feel bad. We sort of co-opted him. We just wanted to say hi, and we were like, I know. have a seat. He was going <laughs> to tell us about what he does, and we said, don't tell us, tell the world. So, Dan, you have the mic, so uh, let us know about yourself and uh, the Maryland Stem Cell Research Fund. Okay, so I represent the state of Maryland. We actually have an active stem cell program for the past nine, past nine years now, funding research in both academic institutes, companies, and collaboration between them. Uh, I've been a partner with the World Stem Cell Summit for many years. We actually hosted them in 2009 in Baltimore, and we're always in conversation with the organizer about bringing them back to Maryland. And I'm here to represent Maryland, to have a few of our companies here coming to the conference, a few of our faculty here in the conference, and to gain some more knowledge on what's been going on in the field that's changing rapidly. Excellent. So uh, this this actual, is this like a an institution that just funds uh, different projects or are you uh, do you have a central location with scientists in it or uh, just give us a better feel of no so we are just a fund that supports the research in the state of mm-hmm. Maryland we are not located within a specific institute we have multiple university from Johns Hopkins University of Maryland in College Park in Baltimore other research institute like Kennedy Krieger, Lieber Institute, that are all doing innovative science. We support them all by a competitive process of uh, submitting applications. Mm. So kind of a, a small, lean, mean CERM. Yeah. So, so like yeah, that. it's it's like a uh, like a nice stem, like a um, you know, like a CERM idea where state it's a state initiative to promote and help stem cell science yeah so this is a state initiative we are funded by the state of maryland with our taxpayer money because this is important Mm -hmm. for our leadership to support that kind of research and how long is that fund there is there a time according to that x amount of years or is it just up every year it is up every year. There is no time limit, and okay. there is no plan of, of shutting down the operations. We're very successful in what we do. We're changing rapidly. We're reacting quickly to what the market needs are. So that's part of what I'm also looking here mm-hmm. is to get some feedback on what the changes needs to be done in the next year, so I can implement them quickly. So this is a good. Sorry, this is a good um, draw. Joseph and I were talking about this when we were talking about. Um, statewide initiatives it's also a great draw for the state to get scientists to come and build their research program in maryland i know that new york state you know when you have extra or additional areas for funding opportunity and when you're looking for a place to start your lab that is a big incentive so i mean having something like your the maryland stem cell research fund is an advantage for scientists to want to come to maryland and start their program i would imagine yeah, absolutely. So we've actually attracted a lot of scientists to Maryland promoting this program. When we first started nine years ago, we probably had between six, seven labs that were doing stem cell research. We now have a community of probably eight, 900 people uh, between academic institutes. Companies are growing nonstop. We have a, a, a great surge in the number of companies who are doing regenerative medicine stem cell uh, work. So we're very proud of it. We are talking all the time to companies from anywhere in the world. So I'm going to host a delegation from Sweden in, in early next month. We're talking about delegation to collaborate with Israel, uh, uh, and we're 
always reaching out to new partners. Any particular diseases that you're focused on or is it uh, or ones that you have funded in the past that uh, you're really excited about? Um, so it's a great question. We are actually disease agnostic, so we'll <laughs> fund anything. Like we, 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 <laughs> we focus on the, the therapy, uh, on, on the therapy. We are also stem cell agnostic. We're we going to let the science tell us mm. which stem cell is going to work the best with which disease. Yeah. We are not going to uh, pretend like we know better right. than them. And, and we're going to evaluate everything on the merits of its but own proposal. You're also welcoming basic science, not just um, you know, hard translational work, but also the basic stem cell research. We also fund basic stem cell research with the one limitation is by statute is, is that we are only funding research on human stem cells. Oh, okay. really? Wow, that's cool. Okay. That's good. Well, listen, well, I don't want to keep bias you. isn't a bad thing. No, it's not. In <laughs> fact, I would argue that uh, the field should just be moving just over to human now since all the technology is there as well. But, um, well, thank you for taking a short amount of time to talk to us. I think you, I'm looking at the website. I hope it's correct. You can go to mscrf, is that correct, .org? Mscrf.org to learn more about our program, to see past awardees, progress reports, and, and just connect with us. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Enjoy Thank the rest you. of the conference. Thank you. Okay, so we're joined here by Karen Ring. She's from CERM. That's the California Institute for Regenerative, yeah, Regenerative Medicine. That word um, trips me up. So uh, what brings you here to uh, the World Stem Cell Summit? Uh, hello. Uh, I came here because I'm really excited to learn more about stem cell research. I have a background in um, neuroscience and regenerative medicine. Oh, yeah? But I just joined CIRM a few months ago, and I switched sides, and I'm doing science communications. So I manage their okay. website ah. and write for their blog. And so we're going to be blogging about the talks that we hear today. Excellent. That's Excellent. very cool. Nice. What's, what's your background in neuroscience? Uh, I went to UCSF in biomedical research, but my focus was on cellular reprogramming, uh, making neural stem cells from fibroblasts. Uh -huh. And my lab did Alzheimer's research. Okay. So using the uh, transcription factors to reprogram? Yes. Okay. Yes. How do you, how do, you do that? Yeah. What are you using to uh, make neural stem cells? Some, uh, uh, we use the SOX2 gene. SOX2. That's yeah, a good start. So good start. SOX, SOX. Yeah. Yeah. So many SOX. So many SOX. Yeah, but SOX2 <laughs> Sox is the major player for Sox neural stem cells. Yeah. So why... why um, why the transition over? Do you wanted to do something different? You saw the opportunity and you thought it was a good one. I mean, our, our listeners a lot want to know um, what options they have in science sure. and career. So, you know, tell us a little bit about that transition. Yeah. So I was doing a postdoc at the Buck Institute and in Huntington's disease. I really liked that research. Mm. At the same time, it started an aging research blog at the Institute. And that opened my eyes to blogging and writing about science to the general public. That became my cool. passion, and I also really like regenerative medicine. So when I saw the opening at CERM, I had to take the opportunity just because I felt like that was a better use of my skill set. Cool. Very cool. It's right. kind of like, you know, Yosef and I, we were scientists trained. We like to be in the lab, but um, we also like to talk to people yes. about our work. So this forum gives us that opportunity, so I, I, I totally understand that. Um, We'd like to have neuro, neuroscientists on the show. We're kind of biased, I think. <laughs> so we were reach, we got um, uh, contacted by someone at CERM for the PR department. They were asking us if we want to interview Randy Mills. Ah, uh, uh, yes, our president. Yes, your president. New president, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so we're, we're scheduling that. So we're excited to have him come on. That's great. And talk to him about CERM past, um, you know, and present and then future, what, what's going to happen. Because 
Um, I know CERM's been around how long now? Uh, since 2004. 2004. So, about 10 so years. now, so 10 years, there's been a lot done, there's been a lot funded. So, we're going to talk to him about what is the progress has been made and yes. all these different things. We're excited and our, for that. Our new CERM 2.0 program, he can yes. tell you all the exciting details. So, there is a definitive 2.0, or yes. it's there is? That's cool, man. I'll let him just tell you. Yeah, all no, no, but that's a good tease. It. So we can we can uh, you know let everybody know there's a 2.0. We're going to find out what it is. So anything else you want to tell us about yourself or CERM or your? Have you seen any uh, anything so far this morning that uh, piqued your interest? Any uh, talks that I mean I know it's like the first. I know. Yeah. Day, no, we w- uh, we listened into the FDA talking about uh-huh. the future of regenerative medicine and regulatory um, policies, and it sounds like. They understand what patients need, and they really want to help them out. And I thought that was really good to hear. Cool. So that was exciting. I'm looking forward to the ethics talk on human germline modification. Yeah, yep. I, I know. It's a big, big deal. What, what, do you know what time that is? Now. Oh, it's now. All right. We should probably go right, check that out. Because we, we, just, we just talked about this in the last episode, the, uh, the meeting that, was, that they had in D.C. Oh, about this. Yeah. And yeah, no babies, things like this. So uh, we should go check that out. But thank you for a little bit of your time. Yeah, Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. No problem. Enjoy the rest of the meeting. Okay, so we're joined here by Dustin Wakeman. He's a colleague of ours. Uh, we we actually published a paper together. That's uh, right, we did. Nature 2011. Uh, he is uh, from Rush University in Chicago. Rush. And uh, he has a unique uh, experience. He, his research is rather unique. Um, why don't you tell us about it? Well, right now, uh, we're really starting to work with uh, the IPS cells. Of course, uh, you mentioned that paper in 2011. Uh, Sonia Crix was the first author on that. Uh, it was really when we started Sonia. Sonia. Yeah. Sonia. <laughs> Taking you back, right, Chris? Taking me back, <laughs> baby. Uh, yeah, so we were working with embryonic stem cells there. Uh, uh, Lorenz developed that technique to differentiate those cells into midbrain dopamine neurons. And so then they were transplanting them into... Uh, different animal models of Parkinson's disease, and uh, Jeff Cordova and myself uh, did the primate work on that. So now we're really trying to take that to the next step, looking at iPS cells, um, same type of strategy. I'm working with a cryopreserved cell population right now. So it's it's actually the exact same technique uh, mm-hmm. from the Crick's paper, mm-hmm. um, but basically using the cryopreserved version now. So obviously that's clinically, that's kind of the ideal, right? You want to yeah. be able to, the neurosurgeon right. wants to be able to call those tech and yep. say, hey, uh, me some. I need XCCs in 30 minutes, you know, bring them up. Yeah. And uh, get the as little ma- human manipulation as possible, right? Because mm-hmm. we make errors, we, we introduce variability. So if you can have a, a nice quality controlled product that you know exactly what it is, large working cell banks, you can treat a lot of patients with that, right? And you want to make it relatively easy to, to uh, deliver to the patient as well. So, so do you do the actual surgeries or you prepare the cells or? So, I mean, I'm, we're, I'm still animals. doing all the, the preclinical stuff, right? So I prepare all the cells, uh, both myself and, and a, a couple of the other technician and a, a graduate student. We do all the rodent surgeries, mm-hmm. and then uh, we also assist in all the primate surgeries. But Jeff uh, Jeff Cordover uh, heads up all the primate surgeries, actually. Wow. So, but yeah, we, our team pretty much, we take it, you know, the 6-hydroxydopamine lesion rat model, the pretty mm-hmm. standard classic PD model, and then we have the MPTP lesion uh, uh, primates. Yeah, yep. the monkeys, exactly. So, okay. so pe- for people out there, tell everyone what kind of monkeys are these. So these are uh, both rhesus and cinnamalgus macaque monkeys. Okay. Uh, so uh, old world, mo- old world monkeys. Um, old world monkeys. Yeah. So basically, uh, we can uh, give them this neurotoxin. Uh, they have very selective degeneration of the 
uh, nigral neurons. So that's the substantia nigra. That's the area of, of the brain in Parkinson's disease where, where those dopamine cells are at and that they degenerate. So uh, we actually get what we call a clinical phenocopy of the disease. It's, it's pretty uh, remarkable, actually, that this, this drug, MPTP, actually selectively kills just those cells. And uh, it's actually very, uh, very similar to PD. So not only do you get the, the loss of the cells, but of course we need the clinical manifestation of the disease, right? So that things like the tremor, rigidity, right. akinesia, postural instability, mm. all those classic yep. hallmarks. Yep. Designer yeah, the, heroin derivative. Yeah, yeah. the uh, story behind that is uh, fascinating. They, I'm sure you've probably read the book. The, the case Bell, of the frozen addicts? Yes. Patients, it? yeah. They, Something like that? Was addicts, that I think you're right. Uh, Bill Langston's book, uh, The Discovery of MPTP, uh, really a game changer in modeling Parkinson's in at least you know a human-like light species. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's one of the rare occasions where you have uh, sort of patients creating a model for, for the disease as opposed to, you know, finding right. a model that right, right. can be related over. So. Yeah. yeah. So, so tell, we're at the World Stem Cell Summit, so tell us what you're doing here. Are you giving a talk? You gave a talk? or uh, Yeah, I'm giving a talk on Saturday, uh, you know, my eight minutes of fame, kind of like the eight-minute AEBS. You know, how can you get great AEBS <laughs> in eight minutes? So I'm going to try and do my best to tell this, this IPS story that cool. we've got going. Uh, what time is that? St- when is that? It's 3 p.m. So it's an afternoon talk. Yeah, it's okay. part of the uh, the Young Investigator Awards little thing cool. like that. So Very, very cool. Excellent. So uh, you're uh, starting your own lab now? Uh, so I'm still working with uh, Jeff Cordova. I've got mm-hmm. uh, I've got, I just hired my first, I guess, technician. He's actually an old buddy of mine from college. Cool. Uh, brings a different perspective, big-time biochemistry guy. He actually comes from the microbiology world. So, like, you know, a stem cell guy is like, like, we're, like I don't want to say the M word. Mycoplasma? I mean, oh, no. oh, oh, easy there. And the just, crowd like, goes I, wild. I get like, I get like, a ch- like visceral. <laughs> so, so anyway, so I love this guy because he's like Mr. Clean, right? Okay. So I don't have to like retrain him on That's like good. aseptic technique. Mr. Like, Clean is good. Yeah. I always tell the story where I, when I first started to learn uh, pluripotent stem cell culture in, uh, in Lorenz's lab, we were, you know, Mark Tomashima, who I'm sure you know, Absolutely. has Mark's the core next guy. door. What's up, Mark? I know you're listening. And, um, so uh, Mark was being helpful to train me, and so um, I, he had found out, or through the grapevine, that one of my cell one of my cell lines got contaminated with myco, which oh. I was told was going to happen. You know, like it's bound to happen. So I go in there to talk to him about it into his lab, and I walk through the door, and he looks at me and he goes, "Stop! <laughs> Just stop! Do me a favor. Go home, take a shower, wash thoroughly." And then you come back and talk to me. And and I didn't really know Mark that well then. It wasn't like now where he's like a good friend. And so I was kind of insulted. I'm like, who the hell is this guy telling me? And uh, now I know exactly what he was talking about. And Absolutely. I have the, the same kind of thought. I don't say it like Mark did, but I have the same. But when someone's like, I have Myco, and I'm like, look, I can't. We just can't. Just please go talk to someone else right now. We'll come back later. But um, they got a new uh, new STD with Michael. I yeah, think. yeah. I covered it on the roundup a it's few bizarre, few right? episodes ago. Uh, yeah, we, we were just talking about that STDs on the rise and syphilis. syphilis. Is one of them. And we were saying back like, in action. I think of syphilis. I was saying I think of syphilis. I think of like King Henry or like something like way back yeah. in the day. But apparently not. It's making a. Uh, yeah. It's making a comeback. Have you been to Atlanta before? Uh, one time I was here. I think it was, it was for the neuroscience. I went. Meeting, I was like, here for the neuroscience. Ago, Me right? too. I was here for that. I, I was saying. I, I, 
I thought it was at this hotel because I remember it being a huge hotel, but I was so long. It was long ago, right? Was I was young in my ago. grad school. I think it was, I mean, yeah, I think it was my first neuroscience actually. It would have mm. been almost 10 years ago, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Atlanta's fun. We went out for a nice dinner last night. I don't know if we'll have enough t- The problem is, you don't have enough time to go and explore the city because the meetings are so intense. Yeah, that's right. So, um, but so, anyway. So, these IPS lines uh, you're going to present today, uh, can you give us a little. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's actually a collaboration I have, uh, uh, a biotech collaboration with Cellular Dynamics International. So uh, they actually, like I said, they actually licensed Lorenz's uh, Sloan Kettering's IP yep. and the uh, the Crix protocol, which is fantastic. Uh, basically, uh, they found a way to cryopreserve the cells to get about 75 to 85% v- uh, thawback viability. Viability, that's excellent. Which is, which is you know, obviously, wow. when, I, when I first heard that several years ago, I was kind of like, you got to be kidding me. No way. I don't believe you. Yeah. And so they basically said, we'll call our bluff. And uh, so we uh, transplant these cells. Um, so these are from healthy donors, of course, right? So mm-hmm. if you if you think about this clinically, this would be kind of like that haplo, haplo matching, right? Mm-hmm. Very similar to what you would do uh, with the whole organ transplant. And then right now, actually, uh, in fact, next week, we've got two more patients, uh, female patients, which is huge. Uh, cool. it's, we don't get a whole lot of uh, female or ethnic minority um, uh, pe- people that uh, are willing to give their blood for us for, for whatever reason. That really? Is. It seems like old white, old white men are the, are the ones that... Take my blood. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we're, we're deriving, uh, we've collected blood already from two patients. We have two more coming up. Uh, we're collecting blood uh, from our, our sporadic PD patients. So these are mm. early stage PD patients, right? So this would be sort of like your, your ideal scenario for your patient population once you've sort of shown probably safety mm-hmm. um, in a different population. Um, so we're doing that. And the whole idea there is, right, because if you have the disease, especially a disease that's known to like have this protein accumulation, are those cells and neurons derived from them? going to be any different than say a healthy individual right, right. So there might be differences. no one knows that right, right. Now. Yeah. so that's what exactly the question we're trying to answer our patient and, and uh, we're also not only that we're trying to sort of show proof of principle so from the day i take your blood to the day those cells have been shown in uh animal models of pd to function right mm-hmm. what's the minimal amount of time we can do that in to provide to that pr- therapeutic right yeah and that should really inform your patient population as well so we're, we're trying to figure out what are the differences between the cells? Healthy versus versus diseased. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out. So obviously, that if if the disease cells work well, that's great because then we can actually go for an autologous type therapy. Right. If they don't, we still got the haplotherapy. Right. right? right. So we right. get an answer either way. That's out of cool. That. Plus, it's a well controlled experiment. That but way. when you say work well, uh, so yeah, what are we well, talking define about? work yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, so, um, and what's the time frame? Uh, so time frame to post transplantation. Okay, so in our animal models right now, I've already tested six months post-transplantation, and we've shown uh, functional recovery in both the amphetamine-induced rotation task, which you guys, you guys know yep. is kind of the right. easiest one yep. to, to fix, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That's a drug-induced task, and then there's another drug-induced task, uh, apomorphine-induced rotations, mm-hmm. which is more sort of a surrogate of innervation, mm-hmm. and also shown uh, uh, restoration there. Uh, and we're actually in the process right now of analyzing our last month of our cylinder data. Okay. So we're hoping, I mean, that's obviously sort of the creme de la creme, right? You yeah. Want, you want to show that you can, you can alter that for limb akinesia. Mm-hmm. So, and then in our monkeys, we've shown proof of concept at three months. Mm-hmm. Right now I've got using nude rats, uh, a 12 month study going on, a functional study where we'll be testing all those cell types as we go. Uh, and then a couple different variants off there. Uh, and then, uh, we're actually working, setting up a, a contract, uh, not, not me myself, but Cellular Dynamics. Uh, once they got bought by Fujifilm, things got uh, a little more. Let's go CRO side on that. Yeah. So uh, that's uh-huh. that's part of the business, you know. But as you guys yeah. know, to take to take a drug or, or a therapy to the clinic these days, you really need to be 
willing to partner up with people that have the money to do that. Yeah. I mean, what, what's your feelings? I mean, my, my hunch, this is no like scientific data backing this up, is that the disease is not going to recapitulate, at least in the time frame of uh, you know, somebody who needs the therapy to live, I don't know, another 20 years. Um, what's, your, what's your idea? I mean, there's this whole spreading pri- hypothesis of... The right. disease and it's almost like a prion disease so what 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 are your feelings there so i actually agree with you 100 percent on that and i'll tell you why is because so if you look at the actual data from the fetal grafts that went in the clinical trials right yeah and it was actually published by uh there were sister papers yeah uh in nature nature medicine medicine by my uh my boss jeffrey cordover then, as well as uh, i think patrick brunden okay. and then ula eventually got on board and said we see the same thing right uh but they showed that they had these louis bodies in these graphs right mm-hmm. now i remember when i sorry, was louis bodies for everyone is a uh, like aggregates hallmark. hallmark of uh some sort of parkinson's uh, yeah go ahead Sorry, yeah, so I just wanted to clarify. Absolutely. So that that suggested that the, the, the disease itself, and rightfully so, was spreading to these sort of, quote, healthy, healthy grafted neurons, neurons right? Mm-hmm. And so the big outcry was, oh, well, you know, your wah, grass wah, getting wah. dead. Your, your, your grass dying, it's, it's degenerating. That's a problem. And I actually remember having this this talk with Ula Isaacson very extensively, and uh, mm-hmm. both basically agreeing and saying, well, who cares if it's 10, 15, even 25% of those cells? You're 10, 15 years later, you still got 75% of your cells that are doing just fine. Mm. Not only that, but as long as they're safe and you're not inducing dyskinesias and your patients are right. off L-DOPA, that's a huge win right there, right? right? So even if they do eventually die, you still got your other treatments. You still got, let's say you're still L-DOPA responsive. That's one option. You're still, uh, you still have the deep brain stimulation option, right? Mm-hmm. So if your quality of life is improved for that much longer, and then you can then go maybe use another therapy. Now, I personally think from a cell transplantation perspective... That's great. We can we can supply dopamine, right? It's sort of that idea, the cell replacement, right? right? But if you then go two-prong, you try and find a way to actually slow down the synuclein aggregation and that transfer, again, okay, so guys, so alpha-synuclein is the protein that aggregates and makes those Lewy bodies, just right. to define that. Right, thank you for that. So if you can slow down the disease progression, right, small molecule, obviously the best thing to do, ideally we'd have a drug, right, that could do that. Mm. If you can slow that down as well as maybe provide dopamine through a cell replacement strategy, right? Right. Depending on what stage of the, of the disease you're in and how many of those cells you've lost, that actually might be a pretty good option and extend lifespan and quality of life. Because I think at the end of the day, right. you're not trying to keep people around that are no. dying of a normal disease of aging. You're trying to give them right. a better quality of life. This has always been my argument to that. When that paper came out, I remember I was in Lorenzo's lab sitting there reading this going, wow, this is going to be like a big deal in the field. People, you know, because we had been moving so quickly and they were so exciting we're gonna put these cells in we're gonna make people better and then this came out and you're like oh no but you know majority of these patients get sick later in life right they're older and so if you can extend their quality of life a good 10 12 years you can get them out to 80 years old 82 years old and their quality of life is better that's a win that's huge so it's a huge win so um nothing is going to be perfect and uh i'm not too sure this whole prion idea is particularly been ironed out and ironclad so um you know like i like i agree with you 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 can't use something like that to just make you say oh forget it right there's no way that's going to happen so do you think about the uh clinical trials on hold in japan uh so i think that's that's been well documented what they did one patient with the ips cells uh masayo right yeah and uh takahashi using the uh, rpes for macular degeneration so their argument was that it was just too expensive Mm. i 
yeah, it's expensive, right? We we know that. I'm not sure why they just figured that out afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, anyways, that's beside the point. Yeah. Uh, so they're going towards what we call, we were just talking about that haplo matching, right? So, mm-hmm. and actually Japan kind of has a little bit of an easier time with that because they have much you know, less heterogeneity, population. right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think it's a great idea. I think, you know, theoretically it ought to work, right? Mm-hmm. Um I think too. I remember. So we have we have this meeting called PDG Force, which is where yes. everybody kind of yep. gets together. Yep. And uh, this was before. It's like those the re- Avengers for uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, it was pretty cool being in that room with all these uh, sort of like my scientific idols yeah, right, yeah. for the last decade or so. Um, but yeah, so I think, and, and I know Jun Takahashi, who's who's working on IPS derived dopamine neurons, uh, was telling us, you know, sort of their their outlook on it is well. Uh, let's make sure it's it's safe. And I, I saw some of the safety uh, parameters. And actually, Shinya Yamanaka talked about all this, uh, and Masaya talked about all those safety parameters that their government made them go through oh, to get okay. to that clinical trial. Right? Yeah, it was right. it was like people kind of think around in the United States. Oh, our FDA is really tough. Well, their regulatory agency was just as tough, if not tougher. Really? Yeah. Even though it seemed like they were so gung ho about it that. Um you know, it, it wasn't going to be worse than the FDA, I, I thought, I guess. It's yeah. So what I understand from Masayo's talk at, in, uh, in Sweden at ISSCR was that they had recruited their patient. They were like two months out or something like that. And then the regulatory agency said, stop, you got to do like these 10, these 10 assays. And they were like, we can't possibly do that in time. And then apparently, uh, at least I believe if I heard this correctly, Shinya Yamanaka Sort of stepped in and, and turned that whole group over there at that giant at that giant institute and said, "This is what we're working on. We're going to fix this." Uh, and they actually and they were uh, able to do it in time and still uh, and show that you know yeah. the copy number variations etc. Yeah. I mean the whole I'm sorry is the whole IPS um, you know field with these individualized therapies, you know, and, I, and then maybe this is one of the problems they ran into is that it's very di- it, it's difficult when you think about. The process. You think about taking um, stem cells, um, like you're talking about master banking and all these things, and wanting something simple. To do it for every single patient is hard. There's a lot of hurdles there, um, the requirements, the money. So like you said, I'm surprised this wasn't thought about beforehand. And this is why I think, um, you know, HLA matching these human ES, the, you know, something that you can master bank and just pull, pull out and then put into multiple patients right. has obvious advantage because individualized medicine maybe for disease modeling and for, for looking at how drugs are going to affect me rather than you is one thing. But if you're going to be putting them into the, into the patient, there's a lot, a, lot of, a lot of hurdles there when you're trying to do individualized IPS, in my, in my opinion. Maybe it'll get there, but right now it just seems like a lot. Yeah, I agree. And I think you know if we are going to do the autologous therapy, it's going to have to be a very slow stepwise process, right, where we show it's really at that point it's about proof of your process, right? The process you go to to make it. And that's sort of our, our approach on this autologous end where we're using these patients as examples of, okay, from time X of, of uh, blood draw to time Y of I have a cell ready. Right. Now we test functionality. And we may have to do this for 10 different patients, but it's gonna, we're going to have to show that these cells are pretty much doing exactly what we want them to do every single time. Right, so there's not a lot of variability between patient samples because let's say we have two or three lines using the same exact process that sort of act differently, or they, they're not efficacious. Well, that means we have we have to figure out why that is, right? That's why uh, Chris is probably a fan of the pooling the lines together. 
Yeah, I'm a, <laughs> as pros and cons. Look, it's my my personal opinion is I feel that the way everything is moving so fast that IPS individual, you know, autologous transplantation might not ever get to uh, the clinic widespread. I think what would happen, you're either going to go allogeneic or the activation of endogenous. I really think that that field is really, really, really moving forward where you're going to figure out a way to create new neurons in vivo, activate stem cells that are quiescent, things like this. Just because it's less invasive, there's going to be less um, FDA requirements if you don't have to take something out and put it back in. So... um, Thanks, Nathan. Our Chick Fil A just arrived. Um, <laughs> it so, is so, so, I, but, but it's, but, but it's a, it's a very important proof of principle. And it's very important to look at this how, what you're doing. So, um, it's very intriguing, and I hope those trials continue. I think you know, I yeah. don't know if they're just are they, are they completely done or no? They just halted the one in. I uh, think the one. I think they're. I mean, I think they're switch gear now. They're going haplo. I mean, that's they, the way that's I it. understand it. All that's right. All right. It. Cool. We should have her come on, right? We should probably try to get them on the show over there. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to respond to us, but we can try to get them on. Yeah, so cool. I, I mean, it's it's important work, and uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank uh, you so much for taking the time. Yeah, anything well, I, else you want to share with us before you leave? Uh, not too much. I mean, it's just uh, it's, it's nice getting on here. Listen to you guys all the time. You guys just had that awesome uh, talk with Tilo. Yeah, Tilo's mind blowing. Like you can have these massive copy number variations. I know, and it doesn't matter. Which, I know, which kind of goes back to what we're talking about with right. the regulatory stuff, right? Right. It was cra- that was crazy. And Yosef's question was so was so awesome. Was who's normal? What's the control? Like what do you? And what's wild type? You know, right. like if ever if if you know, like if there's always going to be things messed up. And his funny story and his funny pictures are <laughs> hysterical. Everybody go to uh, stemcellpodcast.com slash 59, and you can look at those pictures. They're, uh, they're quite intriguing. All right. Anyway, good luck with your talk, man, on Saturday. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care. Take care. Okay, so um, our day here continues. We have uh, two gentlemen from Oxocell Laboratories Incorporated. we got Kyle Citrullo and Ruzba uh, Takizada. I hope I said that correctly. Um, welcome, guys. Uh, Kyle, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and the company and uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for all the good work you guys do. Um, Dr. Tagizada and myself founded Oxocell Laboratories in 2007, and we really uh, founded our company based on the enormous therapeutic potential of stem cells found in the umbilical cord Mm. and the Wharton's jelly. Dr. What Ta- is Warren's jelly? I'm sorry. I had to interject right there. <laughs> I have no, I've heard it before, and I have no idea what it is. Yeah, so uh, Warren's jelly is really the, um, the innards of the umbilical cord t- uh, tissue. Okay. So if you think of the umbilical cord, when a baby's born, the umbilical cord blood that exists within the vessels is really the, the surrounding tissue from the vessels to the outside of the tissue. Oh, okay. So it's a very gelatinous material that gives the protective... Uh, structure uh, and flexible structure of the core tissue. And how do you isolate that from the umbilical cord proper? Like, is it just something you can peel off or is it enzymes? How how do you do that? So there's a a specific type of stem cell that exists within the Warren's jelly. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's a mesenchymal stem cell-like cell type. And and, uh, what we do is there's multiple ways that you can extract the Warren's jelly and the mesenchymal stem cells that exist within them. Uh, the first method is using a chemical digestion method, so an enzyme that breaks up the tissue, and the cells and stem cells are released. Um, another method that we've uh, introduced um, 
is is using a non-enzymatic method, basically a me- mechanical method of breaking up the tissue and therefore releasing the the stem cells. Uh, another method, uh, which doesn't really release the stem cells, it just collects the s- stem cells within the tissue and cryopreserve for later use. Is just cutting up the tissue into very small pieces, and and mm-hmm. cryopreserving them that way. Are are there uh, s- antibody markers like CD whatever? For yeah, so there's classic uh, MSC markers that are expressed on these on these stem cells. Um, they're CD90 positive. They lack expression for human leukocyte antigen, CD45. Mm-hmm. They express CD29, which is a ECM. Um, extracellular uh, matrix? Extracellular matrices uh, protein uh-huh. uh, marker. Um, they express CD44, which is a hyaluronic acid okay. receptor. Another ECM uh, receptor marker. Uh, but the st- stem cells that we collect are actually they're, they're, they're the primary... Um, native stem cells that exist within the tissue. A lot of folks, what they do is they'll take the tissue out or the stem cells out and they'll put them into culture and expand the cells. And that's so, so what they get is a culture-expanded stem cell MSC uh, population. Is, is there contamination with the mother's cells or is it all... Yeah, great question. Uh, so the umbilical cord is developed w- during field development is derived from the fetus. So okay. it's all fetal de- uh, derived. Okay. Yeah. Is that trophoblast considered trophoblast or is it I uh, mean some its own thing? <laughs> well, it, it develops from the developing embryo. So okay. it, is, it is it is it is from the trophoblast but uh-huh. um, um after um um uh, germ layer uh What's segregation or yeah, whatever yeah. separate yeah gastrulation Gast- a lot of Asians the reason you know, you know <laughs> the, sorry we're getting like real that. heavy in the science but I just care you know one of the interesting thing is because when you make cells from pluripotent cells um, you have to know you know what li- are they endoderm are they mesoderm and things like that so I'm just curious has anyone ever made uh, umbilical cells or you know these kind of cells from pluripotent cells or is that possible you know, not getting them from the cord, which is what you guys do. I'm just thinking, like, if you, Yosef's uh, question of what linea, what, what germ layer is it from, or what layer it's from, I just piqued my interest. I'm wondering, has anyone ever considered to try to make umbilical like cells from pluripotent cells? I don't know, stem cells. Uh, I, I think theoretically, yes, you, it's you possible, should, right? right? Yeah. But in practice, I think with all the other types of cell types that are in the process or in development of, of, um, experimental development in terms of determining if they're able to differentiate along specific lineages. Right. All that is under really uh, a research and development kind of phase right okay. now. Theoretically it's possible, but no one's really been able to um, uh, differentiate them uh, to more to down uh, down okay. a more differentiated so, pathway. So tell us. Go ahead. I'm sorry. We we digress from the, to the science. Tell us about now ap- the application and what what you know what you guys are hoping to do with these cells. So so the the, the stem cells have a lot of different applications, both regenerative medicine and, and cell based therapy applications. One of the applications that we've really tried to focus on is is how we can use these stem cells to enhance. Um, engraftment of hematopoietic stem cells, so from cord blood, for instance. So one of the barriers, one of the, um, I guess, the, 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 the issues with using umbilical cord blood is the limited volume that's collected, mm. and the volume is directly uh, co- correlated or correlates with the number of stem cells that you can collect. Mm. 
So the more volume, the more stem cells. But there is a finite limit to what you can collect from cord blood, or from the cord to, from the cord vessels, I should say, in, in terms of the cord blood volume. So uh, that translates into when you actually transplant that into a patient, uh, the more stem cells you have, the better the engraftment. Mm. So there's a direct correlation between engraftment and volume or stem cells. So what, what a lot of um, uh, uh, transplants, what, what, what happens is a lot of them fail, or some of them fail, I should say, because there's just not a high enough potent stem cell uh, 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 number. So one of the ways that we can uh, increase the numbers is take the stem cells out from the core blood, put them into an ex vivo culture environment, and try to replicate, duplicate them, expand them. That's really hard to do. No one's really been able to do that successfully, and there's been really no clinical demonstration of that. What we do, on the other hand, is we use the MSCs from the core tissue, to, and, and we really core transplant that with the core blood, in order to enhance the engraftment of the cord blood. We don't really understand how, but the MS, MS Why would doing. one get a cord blood transplantation? If they have any type of hemat hem, uh, hematological disorder. Okay. So, so uh, when you think of why people need bone marrow transplantations, because their uh, immune system has been ablated, or their right. bone marrow has been ablated, or there's some type of disease with their functional, mature blood cells. I see. So, because uh, one of the questions I'm sure Chris has gotten it before, uh, people ask is, "Oh, the number you one question I get, you number really? One, number yeah. one is, should I bank my kids' core blood?" And and I always say, besides your wallet, it can't hurt. Uh, so I, I I mean, I, am I right? Or <laughs> I mean, obviously, I mean, I'll give my two cents, and, yeah. and I'll let Kyle uh, give his opinion. I mean. I think it's such a personal decision. Um, there's obviously a financial component to it. If you have the means to do it, I definitely am, am an advocate for it. If mm -hmm. it means that your family is not going to be able to eat or <laughs> your mortgage is, you're not going to be able to pay your mortgage. I mean, it's not that expensive. Yeah. Um, but how, how much is it? Is it a one-time payment with like that's a reoccurring fee too? Yeah. The yeah. Yearly fee or something. So every core blood bank, uh, their their pricing structure. Uh, is is variable, but in general, it's about two thousand dollars for okay. for core blood, um, and then about one hundred fifty dollars a year a as year. a maintenance fee. If you want to do core oh. blood and core tissue, it's a little bit more than two thousand. Breaking the bank there, that's no, not too not bad. bad. It's it's a you know I think of it as a as a another insurance and it, and it, uh, future potential uh, investment and. And, and the next generation of medicine, really. Yeah, I'd say it's I the agree. ultimate sale, though. It's really the ultimate market. Like, you know, like, hey, you can potentially help save the life of your kid. Yeah. And that's a tough thing for someone to say no say to. No. Did you do it? I did not do it. Oh, okay. I always <laughs> recommend people to not do it as well. So, really? I mean, yeah, but it's interesting. I, so, so I uh, I say yes, do yeah, it if you can no. afford it. it and I, I totally practice what I preach. I have, I have two kids, and from my children, I save the cord blood, uh, the core tissue I saved a native, the native single cell suspended product that comes from our technology. I created a master cell bank of the expanded core tissue cells. I also saved the placental cells mm. as well. And uh, you know, I think it comes down to if, if you have the money to do it, it's a very wise decision. Because also we run a nonprofit called the Perinatal Stem Cell Society, and it's tragic when you get an email from some parent who has a, a you know child with cere cerebral palsy for instance and they would pay anything for a cord blood unit at that point really so to get into the clinical trials that are taking place and uh 
you know, when so you need I, it, I it's invaluable. Why do you need a core blood unit for to get an, enter a clinical trial well, there's for a, there's, cerebral palsy? There's there are clinical trials that are going on at at Duke and at MD Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, at uh, uh, you, yeah, MD Anderson, I believe, and uh, where they have phenomenal results of transplanting children with cerebral palsy with their autologous cord blood really it has a great effect on treating the the symptoms of cerebral palsy i didn't know that it's that's really cutting edge um research that's taking place and you know if that that bears out you know that's a much higher prevalence than a blood-borne disorder um uh, for usage what you know what are these cells doing in those contexts because from from what i understand they do these cells spit out a bunch of things that are good and can help alleviate maybe inflammation and things like this. Are they actually integrating into the tissue, or are they just there to provide trophic support? Is there evidence on what they actually do? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a mechanism of action question. Um, uh, it's it's uh, uh, We really don't have a, a clear understanding of, of the mechanism by which these cells work. Either they, I mean, some stem cell types... They produce uh, cytokines and growth factors that induce healing. Some of them mm. uh, suppress the immune response, the initial immune response. Some of them actually integrate into the wound healing process and 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 are part of actually take part in in physically and 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 repairing the tissue. So um, it, it's not quite clear. I don't think you could say for all stem cells that the mechanism is, sure, is the same. For sure, yeah. Um, I think it really depends on the stem cell type, and I would even argue that it, it really depends on the stem where the stem cell comes from, which source. Um, and I wanted to make, actually make another point in terms of the the banking of the of the of the cord blood. Uh, I think uh, our discussion was around private banking. There's also public banking of cord blood where your uh, the cord blood and the cord tissue can be donated oh. to a cord blood bank facility which is part of the national maradona program so how it works is um you basically you you donate the tissue the, the cells the stem cells um and they're de-identified so they'll never be traced back to you directly um as a parent or to the to the child um and and they're the 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 stem cells are or the the units are processed put into an inventory um and and they're tested and all the qualifications of that unit are put into a national maradona program uh database it's called be the match by the nmdp and uh what is that nmdb national maradona program okay um and what that allows uh, transplant physicians to do is to when they have a patient who needs a transplant they can go to that inventory and look for a unit that can match their their patient and find a unit and have that unit shipped to the transplant uh, center to be infused and hopefully um, work in um, repairing um, uh, whatever the disease or ameliorating the disease that that patient has. That's cool. Cool. So um, I guess for anyone who wants to go find information, they can go to oxocell.com, right? It's A-U-X-O-C-E-L-L.com. And uh, check out the technology and about what you guys do. I know you have to get to another talk, so thank you for taking some time and telling us what you guys do. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right, no Appreciate problem. It. All right, so uh, we're continuing our day. We have Laurel Barkas. I got you from the uh, students. She's Student Society for Stem Cell Research. Joining us on the Stem Cell Podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So, how is your uh, World Stem Cell Summit experience so far in the first day? Oh, it's so far so good. 
Um, I was. She's got a little tone to the voice, yo. So she wants to sing or rap or something. I think. <laughs> yeah, you want me to start beatboxing? We can get. I think this is the first time we. No, so um, so tell us, tell us. That was funny. That was a first for the stem cell podcast. Tell us about um, tell us about what you do, your organization, things like that. Sure. So um, I am the co-founder of the Student Society for Stem Cell Research. The founder is Joe Riggs. What's up, Joe? uh, What's up, Joe? Hey, hope you're out there listening. Um, We started it about 10 years ago, and we're all about giving students the opportunities to learn about stem cells, to teach stem cells, to get career opportunities and advocacy opportunities. Um, The students who are with us are anywhere from high school students, undergrads, community college to uh, graduate students. We've even had some postdocs help us out. Um, So it's pretty cool opportunity. The postdocs helped you out? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, they've been pretty, pretty inspirational, the ones who do help us. Good. So it's been 10 years, huh? Yeah, it's been a long time. Wow. I was a uh, I was a freshman in college back in two thousand four. So, what got you into stem cells that that early? I mean, what because it was stem cells were fairly young. I mean, you know, fairly young back then. So, what was it? Forever that, young. Forever young. That's the goal of stem cells. <laughs> forever <laughs> young. So, what what was what dro- what dro- like drove you to them? What what really? Right. So, I actually learned about them when I was in high school. Believe it or not, a couple of years before that. Um, and my teacher was really cool. He was an AP bio teacher. He started um, teaching us about stem cells a little more in depth than our textbook went into. It only talked about like stem cells for a paragraph or so. And he was like, let me tell you guys a little bit more. And I was pretty fascinated. At the time, you know, Bush had restricted federal funding to a certain number of stem cell lines. Um, and that was in the news. And uh, it was a pretty big deal. You know, the ethical concerns were being talked about. So I was hearing about it all the time. And so I was pretty interested. And I loved science. I was thinking about going into science as a researcher. I went into college and started doing lab internships and stuff. And that was when I decided I wanted to be a scientist. But uh, fast forward to my uh, entry into a PhD program and four years in, um, I decided science actually wasn't for me. (laughs) And uh, a couple years later, I found a job in technical writing at a company called uh, Clone Tech Laboratories. And I'm now pretty much uh, teaching people how to use stem cell products and marketing them uh, for this company. And it's a pretty cool job because I can very stay cool. in the field. Very, very cool. So the Student Association is a side project? Yeah, yeah. It's been a side project. Um, and uh, it's been, I mean, you could say it's a, it's it's been a side project, but a very important side project sure. for me. Yeah. Like this is a side project for us, but we don't consider it really a side project project like you it's yeah, very it's important passion, to us basically. too yeah it's, a, it's our yeah. way of communicating right. to the uh to the field really it's making an impact it's our way to make an impact right so we we're on the bench we do work but we also want to talk to humans we think that's a good thing to do we're uh, not robots no so this is a, so tell everybody you know why should somebody join the organization, why should they join the Student Society for Stem Cell Research? Sure. So we're really looking for anybody with any talent, whether it be, you know, an interest in science, uh, you know, an interest in law or math or whatever. 
um, who also wants to do something good for the world. This is really a humanitarian cause, as you guys know. Um, we're trying to reduce suffering. Uh, we're trying to reduce the burden of disease on the world. Um, so it's really one way to make actually a major impact on, uh, on not only people we know, but people in the future who we don't know. So how does one join? So you can go on our website, sssr.org, and click the Join tab. Um, and that's one way to join our mailing list, and we get pinged when you do that. So we'll reach out to you. Very, very, very cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have a little little group here. Um, Joe, there's Riggs. a posse. So there's a posse. Oh, Joe's here. Joe is here, right, so cool. you get to see him. Cool. Um, and uh, he's around. And then there's actually about five members from the UC Berkeley chapter. Cool. And they're milling around and learning. They're undergraduates or master's students, so they're they're kind of coming back. I uh, actually live in Silicon Valley now, so across the bay. Yeah, you do. But it's pretty close to Berkeley. And very, very my cool. My home, my heart's in Berkeley. Cause You're always from I there. I went there. You're so. always from out west. You're from California. Yeah, I'm a California native. Uh, you know, grew up in Truckee, which is near Lake Tahoe. <laughs> You've been <Absolutely>. to Truckee? <laughs> Skiing or snowboarding? Uh, neither. Aw. <laughs> right, yeah. to Reno? Yes, exactly. <laughs> 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 she gets a lot of those folks passing through Reno. Well, Laurel, thank you for taking so much time hey, to talk to so us. Much. Enjoy the rest fun. of the meeting. All right, you All too. Right. Okay, so we're joined here by Dr. Is it doctor? Sorry. Arian. One day. Today, one day. Arian Zarabi. Today you're a doctor. <laughs> yeah, for, for our purposes. My parents are going to be so proud. <laughs> so uh, he works at Thermo Scientific, and he came up. He was like, hey, guys, I, I uh, listened to you on the way to work, and uh, this is where I get my like cliff notes for certain uh, studies. So um, welcome aboard. Uh, tell us what brings you here to uh, the World Stem Cell Summit. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I came here to to see like the breadth of research going on, but mostly I'm here to talk about a poster I'm doing. We have been working with increasing the efficiency of reprogramming in iPSCs, which is a huge need that's gonna it's gonna become greater as it moves to a clinical trial. So I want to know what factors can enhance. Um, reprogramming efficiencies with a Sendai-based virus. We use Sendai just because it's non-integrating, and that's one step better than Lenti. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, this is um, no Cytotune, right? That's the product being sold. Exactly. Sorry, I'm doing for Thermo a little product pitch, which I use in the lab we use because it's just the easiest way, what we find in the most... Uh, and I think it's that versus the mRNA reprogramming yos that people are really going with, but I've been using Sendai. So, um, is there? I know, I know, you, there's not a lot you can say, but from your poster, are there certain things that you have done to optimize, or so? Yeah, what? yeah. We we introduce uh, small molecules in different conditions for uh, enhancing reprogramming. And what you said is right. You know, mRNA is a great tool, but right now Sendai is just so much more efficient. But what happens is a lot of what we're doing and what a lot of basic research is doing is they're using neonatal tissue fibroblasts to reprogram, and those are just the easiest cell sure. lines to reprogram. Anytime you get into disease patient models, you're going to have older patients and you're going to have lower efficiencies. We've seen that across across uh, across the board. So what we're trying to do is find different ways to boost that boost that efficiency. One thing we have is we have a new matrix for feeder-free reprogramming uh, called Laminin 521. Uh, Biolamina. 
is and now through Thermo Fisher you can buy it too. Oh, okay, um, there you go. Partnership, yeah, partnership. I've right used five twenty one. Works well. It works really well, and we found that at different concentrations it increases reprogramming. And if you're bringing things out of thaw, there's been uh, there's been data by our other groups that have shown that it's really really beneficial compared to Geltrex or Vitronectin, which mm-hmm. are normal matrices right now. Yeah. Totally. So, how long have you been involved with Thermo and in, in the stem cell part of uh, of life there? So, I'm a, I'm a new scientist at Thermo. I've only been there for about a year and a half. Um, but before that, you know, I've spent my. I think it's kind of interesting that I think I'm the first generation of guys who have spent their entire career in stem cells. Wow. You know, I did all my undergraduate research. I was at the Christopher Reeves Foundation where we cool. were doing spinal cord research. Yep. Um, and I know that first human trials were in spinal regeneration. From there, I went to. Uh, the Heart Center at San Diego State University. I was I got a CERN fellowship uh, my last year of school, and uh, it's just been really cool to to have my entire research focus be in stem cells. Yeah, full circle. I know. So, did, is this your first meeting you've been to, or no? I mean, oh no, ISSCR was my first meeting, okay. and that was when. Um, when Yamanako was uh, was the opening was, speaker, you know, uh, you could hear a pin drop in that room when I he know, was talking. I know. And, you know, when you get there, I think one of the interesting things about stem cell conferences is there's so much hope. You know, there's people talking about what uh, spinal cord regeneration was big when I started, and now diabetes has come. Um, I know they're doing some ret- retinal regeneration. Yep. They've shown some promise. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time I come to these meetings, I go back to work like, oh, man, we're going to cure everything in five, ten years. You know, hmm. maybe that's not how it's actually going to be, but it's nice to come to meetings like this instead of uh, some other meetings where, you know, they've been 60, 70 years in cancer. Yeah, yeah. So we we called you a doctor, which you are not. Do you have a desire to go to grad school or not? Yeah. I, you know, the more time you spend in this field, the more you realize you just have to have more education. If you want to lead the research, you're going to need more degrees. Um, I've been looking into grad programs uh, around the country and uh, and I know two two gentlemen sitting right here have awesome labs going on. <laughs> um, but what's really important to me is the translational approach. I think stem cells are finally getting to a point where we can realistically talk about where's the next step in humans right. that the project is going to. Uh, I know when I first started, I was like, you know, spinal cord is going to be the first one. Um, so I think that's the balance I want to strike. Uh, basic research is amazing, but I think stem cells are really ready to go to the next level. And not that I condone like medical tourism that's going on. No, yes. Yeah. But it's really interesting. I, you know, 10 years ago in the field, IPSCs didn't really exist. I, I think in 10 years from now. I know, it's really moving fast. I mean, and, and, and for, for the, the, I'm just curious to know about grad school. And I, I think that, I think personally that they're, the way the field has been moving and the things that have been opening up. There's so many opportunities for people like yourself and anyone to work in it that doesn't require that kind of school. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of education, and I think if you can go on and and, and do that, it's great. But I don't think that science is that model so much anymore where you have to, you know, you go to, you get your one degree, then you go get your PhD, and then you go have your lab, and then that's it. I think that that model is, in fact, that's a very small percent of what's happening now. There are so many different avenues and opportunities for every level of scientists in this field. Um, so, you know, people ask me, some people ask me, do I have to go to grad school? And the answer is no, you don't. You know, you don't. You just have to find something that you really like to do. Um, and there are plenty of avenues there. That's that's for sure. I oh, mean, yeah. I'm, I'm from San Diego, and that's like a biotech yeah, so startup you, hub. Yeah, so yeah. you know. Yeah, and I know, I've known a couple PhDs that have dropped out to start their own companies at a different point. I don't think you need to, but there is there's 
a certain beauty in grad school, like that you have all these intelligent, hardworking people coming together for a certain goal. And and if you get into the right program and if you have the right right PI, I think I think it's a wonderful experience. Yeah, I'm pro grad school. I'm, I'm, I, any place that'll pay you to learn, do it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, this is true. That's I mean, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, they're paying you to become smarter. I don't yeah. think people really understand that it happens in grad school that you're actually getting paid a stipend. Best yeah, there's word. like really no tuition tuition reimbursement. Well, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think it, you're like right at the federal poverty line as a grad. That's right, but at least you're not in debt when you leave. I mean, well, you might be in debt, but not from the tuition that you're incurring. You yeah, know, yeah. you might be in debt personally. With yeah. But that, that's, that's a whole different story. But, uh, yeah, man. So thanks for coming by and sharing, uh, you know, your story with us. And thanks, uh, thanks, and thanks for thanks Thermo for Fisher for uh, helping us out. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for you guys for having this podcast. It's, uh, it's awesome to go somewhere and just listen to the paper roundup and listen to different experts in different fields. It's, it's been an awesome experience listening to you guys. Cool. Keep going. Thank you very much, man. Enjoy. Okay, so we just got approached by Dr. Yi-Jia Li. He's the director of Yunnan Province Stem Cell Bank. And, uh, you know, this is a cold... I, I didn't get any more background than that. So uh, what brings you over the Stem Cell Podcast here? Uh, I really want to speak uh, because uh, I think it's, uh, a lot of is going on in the stem cell research field in China. Mm. And just recently, three days ago, on the 7th of December, yep. there's uh, a regulation on how... The China can produce the stem cell clinical trial just released. So, purely uh, within uh, after 2012, there's no regulation, so no oh. people can do a lot of clinical good clinical trials in China. Mm. But now it's just uh, released, and then people can apply for different uh, clinical trials. Uh-huh. And I think this is really a great opportunity for China to grow. And also, China released uh, some uh, around uh, 100 million. Uh, special fund for the stem cell research and uh, encouraging international collaborations. Uh-huh. So I think this is the reason bring me come to here and to find good collaborations and then to find good uh, stem cell therapy. Ah. Yeah. So this year, a lot of people uh, who listen to the podcast probably know that China was the first uh, to do embryonic uh, modifications using CRISPR, gene modifications. Yes, yes. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, because uh, I think uh, one is using the CRISPR-Cas9 uh, to modify the embryo stem cell is one direction. But now in China, the main, mainly focus on is on the stem cell treatment using MSCs. Okay. So this is uh, the really big stem cells. A- yes. Yeah, this is the big area. That part is, I think, there will be a lot of ethical issues. But I think uh, the China is mainly fine to using some cure. For example, in Yunnan Province uh, Stem Cell Bank, we are trying to find using MSCs to treat alcohol-induced liver disease. Oh wow! Yeah. So this is a bank. This is a stem cell bank, or do you? So you're just banking cells. You're growing them and mm-hmm. differentiating them. What goes on there? So this bank it has a both public bank and a private bank. So and also we have a res- translational research center called the Yunnan Shunxi Stem Cell and Regenerative Medicine Research Center. And through this research center, we do some clinical trials. For example, the one I mentioned for the liver disease. Okay, very cool. Uh, is there a place where people can go to learn more about it? I mean, you have a, a let's see, a card uh, here. Is there a website? website? Yeah. 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 So, so the website is uh, shunxi.tz.com, oh but also is uh, shunxi.rm.com. Uh, 
So you can go there and have a, have a look. So that's so Shun S H U N X I T Z dot com. Yeah, but it's mainly now mainly in Chinese. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so in the future we will do a bilingual part. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Very great. Well, thank you for coming over and telling us about it. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay, World Stem Cell Summit. There it is in a nutshell. Atlanta, baby. So thank you for the uh, thank you to the World Stem Cell Summit for uh, having us, and thank you for Thurn to Thermo Fisher for helping us get down there. And uh, now we will rant. We will do a quick rant because we have a long show, and Yosef will give us the rant topic today. Well, I'm gonna get up and uh, bring my microphone to the rant topic right oh, now. Oh, we have a live rant. Yeah, we have, like a live feed rant. So this this rant is gonna be about noisy radiators. And listen to this one uh, right where I'm recording. Do you hear that noise? Yeah, it's like a it's like a crazy rattling. I don't know. Just drives me nuts. Sound and I'm wondering why. What what is up with that rattling? I, I people in New York. I've heard some buildings that are just like terrible. Some are really bad. Some yeah. are really like you have to put your volume up on things because you can't hear over the radiator. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. yeah. What is up with that? Is it just you, you think we'd have a technology nowadays where like a non rattling radiator? But some of these buildings, I guess, are just really old. Is that that the deal? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, this seemed appropriate in maybe the 1800s or early 1900s, but it's 2016, and I'm still hearing this rattling. What's going on? And uh, then the the other part, this is the good piece of the, another part of the rant, is in the nor, in, when it's cold, you got to turn the heat on. And, and when there's heat, I wake up in the morning feeling like someone took sandpaper in my nostrils and just like rubbed it like my my i'm all dried out you know you get like those dried up snot you got blood in there sometimes it's all dried out because the heat overnight um as it gets colder outside more heat comes on and then you you you, if you're not if if you don't have a humid uh, humidity regulator built into your heating system which i don't think a lot of people do you wake up all dried out so like and then your skin gets all dry i don't know what the hell we're doing in the winter up here yos i mean there's all these things we're ranting about sounds of the radiators my nose getting you know dried out but there should be a quiet a sound what is it i'm gonna say soundless or quiet more quiet and more uh, efficient in terms of humidity, uh, I think, heating system put in everyone's place. Because, after all, we want to live perfectly, and we don't want to have to rant about all this crap. All the time. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, we should be say this is a high-class problem. I mean, we're lucky of to have is. heat in the winter. You know, there are people freezing. So, um, all, most of these rants are high-class problems. I was going to say, <laughs> what are these rants? That's what they're for. I mean, yeah. If we can't complain about high class here, then I don't really know what to complain about. So, everyone, for 2016, send in your rants. Um, you know, send in anything you want. We'll definitely get them on the show. Uh, we are the Stem Cell Podcast, presented by Thermo. Yo, 61, new year, man. Looking forward to uh, a bunch of new episodes and a lot of good guests coming down the road, man. All right, let's do it. Talk to All you right, later. man, have a good day. Talk All to you later, bro. Bye.